Welcome to the Fighting for Joy podcast. I'm your host, Jody Blick. Well, today's episode is really special to me because I get to introduce you to somebody who has had a huge influence in my life, Pastor Don Solon. You know when you get asked, who are some of the people who have greatly affected your life? Or who are the top 10 people who have most impacted you over the years? Well, my guest today is on that list for me. Today, Don pastors a church in Ohio and is a certified life coach. But many years ago, he was the youth pastor at my church when I was in high school. He and his wife, Marcy, were newlyweds. They loved on us crazy teenagers in such meaningful ways. And Don was also one of the first people who really pushed me and challenged me to make my faith my own and to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. And it's not an exaggeration to say that his encouragement to go to Wheaton College set the whole trajectory of my life. I am so grateful to this day for the ways that Don's mentoring and friendship grew my faith and set the foundation in some key ways for the person that I am today. Now, all this being said, Don's own journey of faith and seeking to be loved and accepted has been a tough and messy one, one that has included alcoholism, performance religion, and depression. I've stayed in touch with him and Marcy over the years, but I was so happy when he reached out to me over a year ago after he heard my brother on the podcast and offered to come on the podcast himself to expand on the themes that Dwight and I talked about through sharing his own story of fighting for joy. I'm glad we could finally have this conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear about how God has taught him to live by faith, not by performing, keeping up an image, or striving to meet other people's standards. This has helped him to experience true joy and finally live honestly and authentically. Here is our conversation. Hi, Don. Well, hi, Jody Blick. <laughs> so good to speak with you. Ah, oh, thank you for being here. I'm so excited that we can do this together. Who would have thought, right? No kidding. No kidding. It's awesome. It is awesome. Well, before we share about how you and I even know each other, I would love for you to just start by introducing yourself to my listeners. Just share a little bit about your family, where you live and work, and just what your life looks like now. Oh, cool. Okay, so uh, my name is Don, and uh, I live and work in Ohio, uh, right out of Dayton. And I've been in ministry for 30 something years is where I met you mm-hmm. back in Fremont, Nebraska. <laughs> and now I, I work in Dayton, Ohio. I have a little church in Covington, Ohio, uh, which is north of uh, Dayton. That's a church of about, oh, 300. It's, they're good people. Uh, it's up in the country. It's pretty fun. And uh, I, I coach, I life coach for people in ministry. Uh, I have two sons. Uh, Cooper is uh, our youngest and Alex is our oldest. And I've been married to Marcy for 36 years. Wow. Well, shout out shout out to Marcy. I mean, she is an amazing wife, Don. I mean, yes, she uh, is. Yeah. And as I as I think back just on her um, and, you know, my time with her as a teenager, I'm just I'm struck with how generous she was with just her time and even her words. I always think when I think of Marcy, I just think she made us high schoolers feel seen and accepted and enjoyed. And that's a big thing for young girls. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, like she's you a said, great lady. Yeah, she is. And so like you said, we met, um, we met over 30 years ago when you came on staff at my church as the new youth pastor when I was in high school. And 
Um, when you showed up, Don, I just remember thinking that I had seriously never met anybody like you. <laughs> you were just yeah. out of the mold for our community, at least for our little church community. And you created all kinds of new categories for me. I mean, you were a pastor and you listened to rock and roll music and you knew the Amen. Bible and you knew edgy movie lines, right? You drew, you drove a motorcycle. You had a Chicago accent. Um, you just, you rocked our little Fremont world. And for me, I mean, I absolutely loved it. It was exactly what I needed at that stage in my life, but it had to be crazy for you, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Where I came out of I lived in Colorado, went to school there, and all of a sudden, you know, we're all watching MTV and all that <laughs> stuff is going on, and I'd get in trouble all the time for quoting those lines and doing that. Was, do you listen to rock and roll? Yes, of course. I mean, everybody <laughs> does. Who doesn't? But Yeah, well, you and Marcy, as our youth pastor and, and your sweet wife, I mean, you guys opened up your home to us. Crazy teenagers, we were there all the time. I mean, we absolutely loved being with you guys, and it was just a safe place in the midst of the difficult years of, of high school. And, you know, I also, also think you, you had an open door policy with your office at the church, which happened to be directly across the street from our high school. And so I just remember many days after school, a few of us walking over and spending time with you, just processing our day or asking you questions or just even releasing, you know, just normal worries and fears from high school by just laughing with you. I mean, your office was a gathering place for us youth group kids. And I'm just, I'm really grateful for the way that you and Marcy both made yourself available to us. So. Well, thank you, Jody. It was, a, it was brand new for us too. Yeah. Yeah. Fresh into ministry, not very far into marriage and just, you know, and I, I know as I look back that it was a rough stint for you guys here in Nebraska, but I mean, as I've told you before in our conversations, over the years, I mean, God did some amazing things through you while you were here, and your influence is is still being felt. I mean, my life seriously changed because of you, Don, and the radical ways that you built into me. And I, I know so many other people could say the same thing. So be encouraged. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jody. So I mentioned you had um, a Chicago accent. Um, <laughs> can you do a little De Bears for me or anything? The Bears, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still a, I'm still a big Bears fan, a Cubs fan, all those kinds of things, you know, and I, I'm very grateful for my heritage of Chicago and my friends. I'm still very connected to my friends that I grew up with over by there, in mm -hmm. Chicago there. Mm -hmm. uh, over there. Yeah. 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 So, you know, you got to remember, that's one of the things that I got in trouble at Moody for when I went to Moody Bible Institute was my <laughs> poor, my poor diction. Uh -huh. I used D's and Dems and Do's, and I'd get in trouble for that all the time. But <laughs> I love it. It is what it, it, is, yeah, what it, it is. is. Yeah. So worlds apart from from Nebraska, um, Marcy, your wife, grew up in Nebraska, but for you, yeah, it was very different. So let's oh let's gosh. maybe just start our conversation by having you share a little bit of your background, about a little bit about your heritage in Chicago, and just uh, what your growing up years were like. Wherever you want to start with that. Okay. Um, I, I think to to connect the dots now that i'm 61 years old and i hope i'm a little wiser but um one of the things that i look at is i grew up in a very very baptist church it was a great place mm -hmm. uh, but i lived in two worlds i had the world my neighborhood which was all my catholic italian friends and then i i went to judson baptist church where it was totally um totally a different world mm -hmm. um, and uh, so there was always this friction in my life that I I didn't understand it at the time but 
I'll say it like this. In my neighborhood, I could be me. Hmm. In my church, because it was more of a performance-oriented, this is the standard, this is the way we do things, there was always a sense of, okay, you behave here, you're free here. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and and that, that weighed on me a lot because in my, my nature is to be compliant, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was always this friction as a kid. When, where am I free? And I was free with my neighborhood kids. I'm still free with them now. We're still friends. Mm. I, I just spent a weekend with Schluter. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. I love that. What a great guy. Yeah. Um, that's, and that's 55 years of friendship. And mm-hmm. I still am friends with all my, my buddies in Chicago. Hmm. Um, so there was that friction that happened. Uh, and then I used, I, I learned the terminology um, mm-hmm. I learned how to impress that group of people only to keep them out of my life. If mm-hmm. I could say it like wow. that. So yeah. here's, here's the mantra. Here's how we say things. Here's how we do things. This is the standard. And yet I go back home and live six days a week, um, in this world of how oh, this is totally free. This is who I am. Hmm. So there was that, that sense in, in, what came with that because I am adopted. So we'll get into that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Ray and Ruby were godsends for me. My parents mm-hmm. were, were absolutely godsends to me. Mm-hmm. So by the time I went to high school, um, I began to be, uh, and again, I went to a high school, which was 60% black, 20% white, 20% Latino. Um, I, and I only say that because my neighborhood was a little bit on the edge of, you know, we're not, priv- we don't like certain types of people. Mm-hmm. My church was all white. Um, and there was always the sense of, okay, where do I fit with this? Mm-hmm. How does all this gel together? Yeah. And, uh, and so when high school came, there was dating. Um, there was, these are the standards over here, but over here, this is the way people date. Uh, it was very, very confusing. So I always chose to, uh, what I would call begin the life of internalizing some things, um, a life of being someone over here in the church world and over here, there was a sense of, okay, I got to keep this secret. I got to keep this hidden. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if they find out I'll be in trouble. So, but over here, if they found out it didn't matter, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, ever all of us, what happened is we, we were part of a youth ministry that was really good. It was booming. Um, and so I was quote, because of who I am, I'm a leader. So I became a leader. So now there was this new standard of, oh my gosh, this is how you, you, you got to be if you're going to be a leader in the youth ministry. And yet in school, I was uh, a leader in uh, my swim team and some other places. And the two were completely contrary. It was hmm. really weird. Hmm. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I admit to this day, I went to Moody Bible Institute is because that's what we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Y- you go to Moody. And that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So at some point in time in my time at Moody, this is just really condensed. Um, I could no longer fake it. I just, I didn't want to be there. Um, I would get, I would get F's on all my tests. I wasn't studying. I was dating a girl involved in different stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, I, I began drinking on the side to get me through some of the crazy stuff that I knew. I didn't know them, but it was faking it and you couldn't fake it long. And I didn't know that that was probably the beginning of the time in my life where I was battling depression and had no idea. Hmm. So, and, and that depression was more of, and I found out later, uh, that my depression, mental illness came with some of my genetics. Hmm. Uh, but there always a sense of, wait a minute, you gotta be happy. You gotta have joy. You gotta be this gregarious guy. And so I had to keep that image up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that caused inner pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it caused a conflicted life that became even more conflicted. So uh, once I got kicked out of Moody, uh, my, <laughs> my my GPA was about a point oh oh four because I wasn't studying. I didn't mm-hmm. belong there. And and honestly, I didn't know the Lord at all. But I knew of Him, mm-hmm. and I knew. I, I knew a Jesus in a way that said, perform for me, uh, be this person, and I'll love you. Hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm not blaming that on anybody. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, I do believe that there is a time where people in ministry must tell people to get free, that you are loved, there's grace. And I know people say, oh, that's overextended. It's not. It's really not because there's people like me who are inside totally conflicted with what's the truth here. Mm-hmm. Do you, do, do you love me like I am or do I have to perform? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I have to look a certain way in order to be loved and thought of as a, you know, a child of God or what, how does this fit? And now you're seeing even more, mm-hmm. but back then, which would have been the end of the seventies, early eighties, um, I was a mess. So that's when the drinking in my life really took off was Mm -hmm. it became the drug, uh, the self-medication of with my own inner unhappiness, if you will, my inner angst of who am I? Uh, How does this fit? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went to visit, this was about 1983. I was working for a, a really I was working in the electrical trade. I'd been kicked out of Moody. um, And I was on a motorcycle ride to uh, visit some friends in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So I left Chicago on my bike, got to Columbus and spent a week with uh, a husband and wife. And I saw them uh, who they loved the Lord. They loved me. Hmm. Um, And and I I knew that. uh, And I knew that they had something that I didn't have. So I was, I I spent a week with them and really, really the Lord was really dealing with my heart, really just, uh, Don, how long is this going to happen? How Mm -hmm. long are you going to just keep, uh, living in this guilt and shame? And so what happened was I was riding home on route 33 and my speedometer broke on the bike. At least I thought it did. And I pulled over in this little, little dive of a of a rest stop and uh i started working on my speedometer and i just felt the lord Hmm. uh, just dealing with me and so i i went to a little bench and i sat there and i prayed and this is what i prayed lord i don't know you Hmm. it's obvious i don't know you i don't live like i know you i don't 
do anything like I know you, but if you're who you say you are, I'm asking you to come into my life and change me, transform me, do what you got to do. So being who I was, I chose not to tell anybody that Hmm. I came home and a couple weeks into this, my mom says, Ruby, she says, what's something's different about you? What's going on? Hmm. Um, So that was the beginning of, and I didn't tell her uh, because my mom would have said, well, you came to Jesus when you were nine years old. Right, right. All that stuff. And I didn't, I I did it all because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You do this and you will fit in. And I did it that way. Mm -hmm. But this time, this was serious. Now, from there, I ended up two years, I chose, I said, all right, Lord, if I'm going to pursue you, I'm going to follow you. Um, I'm going to remain celibate. I'm going to work hard at the things that um, I think matter uh, to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one thing that I couldn't escape was I couldn't escape the alcohol issue. Uh, that was going to haunt me. Um, now, that didn't mean I didn't know Christ. Mm-hmm, right, right. And that, and that didn't mean that uh, I didn't have a relationship with him. I didn't know all that. It was a guilt and shame. I'll tell you, mm. I can remember, distinctly remember um, the times of going out on a binge and feeling so guilty and so full of shame and so just racked by, oh, my gosh, I blew it again. Uh, going to him and saying, I'm sorry, you know, and this, this cycle was absolutely brutal. Hmm. Um, and so I, I moved to Colorado and this is part of the AA issue. You start to learn that leaving areas, leaving destinations to another destination doesn't change the addiction. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it, 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 it may comfort it for a while. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Colorado, uh, met Marcy on the way, um, went to Colorado Christian University, studied youth ministry and theology. Um, and then from there, I entered into uh, my first church, which was yours. <laughs> uh-huh. So it, here's this youth pastor and who truly loved the Lord. It truly understood the battle uh, for every kid. I can remember talking with you guys and all the kind of we're leaders in the youth group, but mm-hmm. we can work we're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Lord, a relationship with Jesus is strictly, uh, an external thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived it. And mm-hmm. so I was good for that. I got that, but there was, there was a very secretive life that I lived, which was, um, you know, nights of my dealing with the senior pastor. I'm not going to mention names, mm-hmm. my nights of dealing with the angst of still not fitting in externally. I mean, mm-hmm. you, the pressure, the pressure of who I am um, in some facets of Christianity uh, still doesn't fit. And that's okay. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so long story short is I, I came to Ohio and I started working at a, a church of uh, what a difference. I went to a church of about 3000 and I was the youth pastor and I loved the senior guy, loved him. And we had a conversation one day under very difficult circumstances. And he said, um, if you drink again, I'll fire you. Wow. So he knew the Mm -hmm. struggle. Mm 
Mm -hmm. I had told him. And I said, what am I going to do? And he said, you're going to get some help. So the next day, believe it or not, I was at this clergy meeting and I'm sitting next to a guy and he looks at me out of nowhere. He says, are you okay? And he said, no, I got a lot on my mind right now. And he said, listen, I'm five years recovering cocaine addict. Hmm. And I looked at him and I said, I can't believe you're sitting here. I need some help. And he hmm. said, I'll take you to your first AA meeting tonight. Wow. And I, I went to six AA meetings and never admitted I was an alcoholic. And this would have been, uh, this is 29 years ago, hmm. uh, October. And I said, I, I don't know. I don't know. How, and finally, I heard a lot of testimonies. And I finally, it was again, the Lord just kind of hit me. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember standing up and saying, hi, my name's Don. I'm an alcoholic. Hmm. And from there, I've been sober since. Wow. Wow. I mean, Don, there's power in hearing testimony like this because we are reminded of so many things. Number one, the first thing that jumps out at me is just God can use us even when we aren't perfect or have it all together, right? I mean, in the midst of these dark days, God is using you to radically change the lives of other people. So there's hope in that, that we don't have to have Mm -hmm. everything all together (laughs) before God can use us or we can serve. Um, also, I think that, you know, you were longing for freedom, even as a kid, a freedom to be who you truly were. Obviously, you came to figure out who that is in Christ and your identity in him. But I think that's a very common struggle for so many people of just feeling like, where do I fit? Who am I really um, when the lights are off? Um and that, that struggle of just, I mean, no wonder you could see right through all of us when you got to our church, right? As far as just like, okay, yeah. well, who really are you, you know, outside of what all the right things are to say and do? And is that, mm-hmm. um, is that really you? So, and then you, you know, your precious story of just being, fixing your bike and being on that bench and just the simple way that the Lord drew you to him when you are even saying, I don't know you, I mean, and he is drawing you to him. There is such hope in that, that mm-hmm. um, he will faithfully um, draw us to himself. Um, and the couple you stayed with, I love that too, just seeing the hope of the gospel in people through others and the way that they are living. And so um, thank you for sharing all that. It's hard and it's beautiful. It's all the things. I mean, it's seeing encouraging things in it and hearing the brokenness and the struggle and the pain and absolute turmoil that you had to endure um, to get to where you are now. Um, You know, I think a lot of times in the church, people buy into the lie that um, all you need is Jesus and everything will be beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I just, that's a big reason why I wanted to start doing this podcast too, was just to share stories of brokenness and share stories of struggle to remind people that um, a lot of times we will even struggle more as Christians and we will have um, more suffering and persecutions and difficult things and, um, and that it isn't, you know, just have God in your life and everything will be comfortable and happy and you'll be wealthy and wise, right? (laughs) You're right. Yeah. So, um, and especially, you know, as a pastor, I'm sure for you, you know, somebody dedicating their whole life to sharing the good news of the gospel and knowing scripture, um, you know, there's got to be a lot of added guilt and shame to that. Was that something, I mean, and then, you know, the kind of the lack of talking about mental illness and addiction and things within the church, 
um, that adds to loneliness and criticism and shame? I mean, how did all of that kind of play into your life then? And how have you dealt with some of the guilt and shame and hurts from the past? Yeah, great question. I, I, I think there comes a time when, for me personally, uh, that I left the performance religion behind. Mm-hmm. I just had to say, look, I'm not performing for you anymore. Uh, I'm not going to perform for the Lord, and I'm not going to perform for people especially. What mm-hmm. I'm going to be is I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to make short lists every day of my failures, and I'm going to be honest about them enough to say, this is where I failed. Mm-hmm. This, These are the things I struggle with, and I'm going to share those openly with people. Um, and I'm not going to be ashamed of that because I left the performance religion behind. Hmm. Um, and to this day, I, 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 unless you want to live in the old covenant, um, you know, and still live under the law and the performance stuff, uh, which, it, which I, I, I'm amazed at the amount of people I run into that still believe they're following the Levitical law. Hmm. Uh, you know, they love their standards, but you know, Jody, the world is worse. Hmm. I mean, all, all the new, the cancel culture says, look how moral we are. Right. You're not, right. but right. they're not, they're not moral. I mean, the, the world is completely depraved outside of Jesus, but somehow the, the, the church is responsible for their performance. But I tell you, the world is worse hmm. Be, because they know they're, they know they're lost inside. So they got to build this structure that says, see, here's the new standards. Mm-hmm. This is morality when they're not moral. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so mm-hmm. the church, the followers of Christ have got to stay away from following these new, these new nuances to what makes someone good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. The, the church is brutal in the cancel culture. There's no question, mm-hmm. but uh, the world is a hundred times more brutal um, on people because they are they change the moral structure on a daily basis and everybody feels it right now. Mm, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 So, you know, as you started to give up on this performance culture kind of way of living, I mean, was there fear? Was there fear that people, especially those closest to you, wouldn't like the authentic Don, the real you, the you know, just this is who I am. I mean, was there fear in that or did the, the freedom outweigh that fear? Or was it a process? Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> that's, that's a great question. I, I, you know, I, you know me from back in the day, I normally don't live uh, in a sense of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not afraid of very much. Um, so when it was time for me to, to, cast off the performance kind of thing, I began to become what I think in my own heart and mind is a, is a kind of a biblical follower. So when I read stuff like, um, you know, clearly no one is justified before the lo- by God, be- by the law. Clearly no one is justified. Let me get right in my head. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Hmm. And when I began to wrestle with that, it was either, which one are you going to choose, Don? Are you going to live by faith or are you going to live by the law? And I couldn't. I'm I'm the example of someone who cannot live by the law. Hmm. You can't. I fail daily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I chose to become the person that says, I'm going to live by faith. 
I'm going to put my trust in everything in faith. And so when, when we think of terms like happiness or we think of terms like joy, my joy comes by knowing I truly do live by faith. I don't mm. trust other stuff. I mm. just don't. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I don't trust my, my behavior to get me anywhere, uh, even though he's a pastor. It's meaningless. Mm. I, I live by faith. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I've, you know, I have, I have ink and, you know, there's people, I had a kid come to me once and said, I can't respect you. You have ink, you know, you have tattoos. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, what do you have right. that no, that no one can see? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, what is it? If, if that's the standard young man, you're in big trouble and I mm-hmm. don't need your respect. I told mm-hmm. him that and he was like, whoa, mm-hmm. so I, dude, that's not why I walked this earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it does take people sharing you know, their hard stories, their struggles, the things like you just shared, because they are more common that we think. And if we're only hearing from the church and culture that you are loved and accepted, if you are doing everything exactly right, um, you know, of course, people are going to begin to pretend and to hide and to live a double life and to fake it or even, you know, worse, feel like they're just they're not even worthy. They're not measuring up. God is punishing them. Um mm-hmm. You know, so I hear as you share um, freedom in your voice as you share about becoming more authentic. Um, but what would you say to somebody who who says, you know, they're thinking, oh, man, I would love that kind of freedom. I would love that kind of joy that he just talked about, about living by faith and not worrying about a lot of these other things that I work worry about. But um, but I, I don't know where do I even start? I mean, they're buried in lies. They're not living um, authentically. Um where would somebody start to pursue help and start living um, with their lives lining up, their secret life and their public life, quote unquote? Yeah, I, I think it comes um, from little little scripture passages, uh, like I think of Romans 4, um, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, mm-hmm. whose sins are covered. Uh, blessed is the one who sinned. The Lord will never count against them. Who are those people? Those those people are us. Mm-hmm. But but that comes with it uh, a relationship with God that is honest, and that's I that's where authenticity begins. Mm-hmm. It begins with it begins with Jesus. It begins with our relationship by faith in Him, so that when the question that comes up. How do you live authentically? It starts internally in our relationship with God. That's where it starts. Yeah, being honest with God is where it right. starts. Mm-hmm. It really does. Because once we get there, then when somebody says, you did that, you go, yeah, I did. And I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't mean to offend you or I'm sorry, but this is who I am. And you can like me or you don't have to. It's okay. It's your deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that starts because we that's we believe that's who God is with us. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And wouldn't you say, too, that, you know, it really takes a, a day by day, one thing after another, just one thing at a time, minute by minute, just learning how to come to the Lord with everything on your mind and, and on your heart and just learning what it means to be really dependent on him versus dependent on your performance or dependent on 
you know, accolades from other people if they're happy with you or you're pleasing the church or your parents or whatever. I mean, it's really learning what does it look like to be dependent on God every minute of the day. You know, Jody, that is a profound statement. Let me tell you what. I shared this yesterday uh, in, in church in my sermon on this whole thing called uh, that we're dealing with um, in the, the silent killers. Hmm. And one of what you just said is it's a minute by minute thing. I'll tell you where that came from for me. Uh, it came from my uh, five years uh, of the beginning process of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. it, came, it came with me praying, check this out, every day for, mm -hmm. I'm going to say the first three years, I would wake up and I would go down to the basement where uh, we lived. We have a house and it had a bathroom in the basement. I would just kneel at the toilet. It's true. And mm. I would say, Lord, I admit I am powerless. Mm. And I admit today that I need you to help me through every day, every minute of this day. I need your help. Mm. And I began the journey of saying to the Lord, I need you to help me to do this. Mm. And that sta has stayed with me for the last 29 years mm -hmm. of, of a prayer life that's not just let me give you the stuff um, that I hope you'll do in my life. This was, I need your help. I am so in trouble if I don't trust in you today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that be, it, 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 it wasn't even a habit. It, it was reality. And it's to this day, it's still, instead of somebody saying, did you have your five minutes of devotions? Like, <laughs> forget, forget that. Yeah. No, I'm not playing that game. I, yeah. I'm going to him all day long. I, yeah. I think of before I go to staff meetings, before I enter into anything that I'm, Lord, be with me, help me. Here's my list that I probably didn't give you. I need a fresh start right now. You know, spirit of God work in my life. Um, it, and, and I'm just not saying that it's, it's reality for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I learned that from my brother Dwight and his, you know, struggle and, and subsequent recovery from um, addiction as well. I mean, that minute by minute, that's what I had learned from him in his early stages um, of, you know, his sobriety journey. And then when we were thrust into grief and losing our son, mm. um, I mean, that I know exactly what you're talking about, that it's not, it, it changes and morphs from something that is um, what you should do, um, what you have time to do what mm -hmm. other people tell you you should do to I'm not going to literally be able to get through this day if I don't have the ability to call out to the Lord every minute of this day mm -hmm. and all throughout the day and the understanding of what praying without ceasing really means and you know just the dependency on God learning how to really depend on his strength um, is one of the uncomfortable gifts in the midst of horrible things I mean you just gave testimony of it I can give testimony of it I mean you don't really learn to run to him when you're in the midst of a an easier or a lighter season. I mean, you just you don't get to experience um, the absolute desperate need for the Lord um, when you are not going through hard things. I still hate it. I still don't want that or wish it on anybody else. But it is as you look back and reflect on hard seasons of life. Um, if you you know if you run to the Lord, there is a real 
a real gift in getting to know him in a in an uber personal way and in a desperate um, life giving life altering life changing way. Right. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we can't do a re we can't have, you know, a redo on life. And I've, I've thought of that, um, as I was preparing, you know, to, to talk to you today and just wondering, you know, for a lot of my listeners who have also had hard things in their life in the past, you can't go back and change it. So, you know, what do you do with, um, with the grief of the past, with hard things that have happened in the past? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with shame or anger or how do you put that behind you in a way that then you um, can move forward in hope and in freedom? Well, the, the, the way to move forward, isn't it, isn't it a, a, a constant honesty, hmm. uh, a, a constant sense of, all right, I, I can go two ways, maybe three. The first way is I could fake it. Uh, the second way is I could um, find a way to, and I wouldn't even call it faking it. It becomes a sense of almost uh, a behavioral duty, hmm. uh, uh, which which is part of the performance religion. I got to just do this. I just got to suck it up, buttercup, <laughs> and do this. And hmm. uh, both fall short. Uh, and they're exhausting. <laughs> Go ahead, say it again. And they're exhausting. They fall short yeah. and they're exhausting. I mean, you're just exhausted, so weary. Oh, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's a terrible kind of um, uh, lifestyle. But the third is, is being that person who is uh, the one that says, all right, Lord, I, 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 I can't fake this. Um, so... I'm going to run to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a very humbling place to be. And isn't it interesting that humility um, is not well thought of, but, you know, I, I think of, I, I have this tattoo on my arm that I, I drew up and I made it. Um, uh, it's called, it's called the strong tower. Hmm. Um, and um I did it because the, the the Lord's name is Strong Tower, mm-hmm. and that's where we run. Mm-hmm. And we are and safe. So I, mm-hmm. so I I put that on my arm. Uh, the name of the Lord is Strong Tower, and the righteous will run to it. Mm. And that's where we're safe. Mm. And then I put another one on my arm, and I just spelled out the word forgiven mm. uh, as a reminder. Uh, that no matter what, and no matter where, and no matter how, uh, that his forgiveness is is not performance mandated. It is not um, a, to have a dishonesty about it, uh, but it's to be straightforward with the Lord, and in there is forgiveness. Hmm. And hmm. so those two those two pieces of ink on my arm, yeah, daily is, is an ever reminder is Don, run to the strong yeah. tower. That's yeah. where you're safe. Uh. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, and before we kind of close the chapter on on your past and kind of just um, where you have been and what got you to where you are now, to share a little bit more about your adoption uh, journey and just um, how you think that shaped you, how it's affected you, um, just what some things you've learned through that. And you mentioned even finding out some family history um, with mm-hmm. mental illness through that too. 
Uh, Jody, this, my, my adoption story is one of God's unbelievable, I don't know how to say it, just his unbelievable uh, cho choosing and a sense of uh, just where would I be had God not had me planned. Hmm. So my birth mom, her name is Edna, um, and when I was 36 years old, my mother, my adopted mother, Ruby, who I love deeply, mm -hmm. she was a sweet lady, mm -hmm. but she was very, uh, she was very battered. Um, she was very um, deeply wounded by her upbringing, my mother, Ruby. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a very performance oriented person. Uh, nevertheless, uh, when I was 36, I was taking my dad, Ray, my adopted father, Ray, to a hockey game, a Blackhawks game in Chicago. So I picked him up in Goshen, Indiana. And just as we were driving away, Ruby uh, threw me a piece of paper and she said, you need to read this. So I looked at my dad and, I, and he said, hey, you have two ways to go with this. You don't have to do this. And if you do read it, it may not turn out the way you'd like it to turn out. And I said, what is it? Wow. So it was the name of my birth mom, the name of my birth father, their ages, um, where they possibly lived. Um, and that was it. She hmm. got it from the social worker. Hmm. Wow. So remember at 36, I was just beginning the journey of uh, alcoholism, dealing with alcoholism. Hmm. Uh, so I, I read it and my mom's name was Edna Huffschild and my birth father was William Palmer Dempsey hmm. or William Dempsey Palmer. I can't remember. So, uh, my birth mom was 19 when she had me and my birth father was 26. Uh, so I read it and I thought, okay, she may be living in, uh, somewhere in Michigan, which is very close to my parents' house. So I brought it home. I showed Marcy and Marcy began to hunt this lady, Edna Huff's child. Hmm. So we went to Benton Harbor. That's where we, we first went to the high school in Benton Harbor and looked up the yearbook, her 1959 yearbook. Wow. And wouldn't you know, her picture in that yearbook was ripped out. What? It was the, it was the only one we could find. We went to the library and it was that page was gone wow so it was like oh my gosh how are we going to do this so marcy kept looking and she found a way to get into meet uh talk to her sister on the phone marcy said hi we're calling about uh edna we're having a uh, 1959 class reunion that kind of thing <laughs> and and her sister said uh oh is this about the baby oh wow yeah marcy said yeah it is hmm and she said, well, let me call my sister and see if she's willing to talk with them. So she got back to Marcy, said, here's her number. Uh, he can call. So I called within the next couple of days and had to answer the phone. And I said, hi, mom. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> wow. And she said, hi, I've been longing to talk to you hmm. for a long time. Oh, that's so, so tender. Mm. Yeah. So I said, I'd love to meet you. And so we... We met a few weeks later uh, on Lake Michigan on the beach, and we walked for two hours hand in hand. Hmm. I told her I loved her and thanked her for doing what was right, giving me life. 
He said, you'd be amazed what God has done. Wow. And uh, we are still friends. I talk to her all the time. Wow. Um, yeah, I found out. Now, check this out. So in that, I found out who my birth father was. And his name was um, William. And uh, I found out that my birth father was 62 years old when he was killed on his Harley Davidson after 10 years of sobriety. Oh, wow, Don. Yeah. Wow. And I've been riding since I was 17. And mm -hmm. my dad, poor Ray, used to say to me, well, I don't get it. Why do you love <laughs> motorcycles so much? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and I was born to ride. Um, wow. And I was I was born to be a drunk, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're making all these connections now. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that shape your... Well, so that was 36. The next, you know, number of decades of your life in regards to mm -hmm. your faith and just... Um, you know, understanding more of just God's sovereignty in your uh, story and um, the whole idea of adoption and um, your love for your your parents, Ray and Ruby, who I was able to mm. meet on one of the trips that we took to Chicago. And yeah. uh, dear people, you're right, but just um, I'm sure you uh, wondered many times where you fit in all of that. Yeah, well, let me uh, break it down into this simple equation for me. Once I found out uh, a lot of my heritage, um, once I found out a lot about um, who I was internally, uh, I no longer fought that. Hmm. I no longer made it a bad thing. Hmm. I embraced it fully. And to this day, I embrace it fully. This is who I am. This is um, what I'm made of. This is how my parents raised me. Um, this is what God has done. Um, and the fact that I'm alive meant that there was a plan. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the fact that uh, Edna and I are truly, my birth mom and I are truly close. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, all of that stuff I embrace wholly. So there's no there's no uh which which i see with kids and families all the time is we can't tell the family secrets we can't tell the family secrets right, right. you know uh, but but in those family secrets is this sense of well part of the blemishes that you have are what we all understand as sin mm -hmm. uh, part of uh your depravity is what you inherited mm -hmm. uh, which is completely true um part of my uh, who I am it had nothing to do with actually who raised me. Uh, thank God Ray and Ruby did. Mm -hmm. You think about this. There was no alcohol in my house hmm. growing up. Hmm. I never heard an unkind word from my parents. I never heard them use profanity. Mm -hmm. uh, there, When my father, when Ray came to Christ at a Billy Grant crusade, he gave up drinking and cigarettes everything when he came to Christ. And it's an interesting concept that about the time I got kicked out of Moody, actually it was after <laughs> I got kicked out of Moody. I've told this story, but this will put it in a nutshell. I had this huge guilt and shame thing with my alcohol. And I was really, I loved my dad so much. I've hurt him. And I, I was packing up my clothes and boxes one night and I was going to leave. And he grabbed me and he said, where are you going? And we had this little shoving match, kind of a 
you know, I took a swing and he got me down and he said, where are you going? Why do you think, what are you doing? I said, dad, I, I'm ashamed. You know, I, I just need to leave. Hmm. And he said, I, I want you to know that there's nothing that you could do that would make me stop loving you ever. Hmm. And you know, that was the wow. beginning. Yeah. That was the beginning of me finally understanding the performance religion was dead. Hmm that this man loved me for who I was. He did. He Ray loved me completely. He, he said it. Hmm. He said, come back in. Come back in the house. This is where you live. And, wow. And, we had, and from that point on, he and I, he used to come and visit me in Colorado. He'd call me up and say, hey, I'm flying out. I'll be there in three hours. <laughs> pick, me, pick me up at the airport. We'll go to breakfast. Wow. And uh, he did that a lot. Um, Wow. He showed me the love of God. Yes. He did. He showed me the Father's love. Yes, yes, yeah. And I think our earthly fathers have such power in that to either show us what God's love could look like to an nth degree, right? God's love is so much greater, and they point us to that. Or in the the ways that they fail us, we should we are seeing that you know we can see that God's love is is better than what earth, any earthly father could ever even try to to pour out on us but what a beautiful picture and a beautiful like defining moment too for you to just Mm -hmm. realize I am loved by my earthly father and he is pointing me now to an even greater love in my heavenly father Mm -hmm. wow well you have um you have persevered now in in pastoral ministry through all that you just shared (laughs) what Mm -hmm. what has kept you in ministry I mean what has helped you to want to continue to share this kind of uh, you know, up and down of, of the Christian life um, with others um, as their pastor? That's a great question. And I think the reality is uh, it's because um, uh, that my story is no different than, than most people's. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's very it, true. it may not look the same, but uh, the truth is this, this is our life. Uh, we will all um, end up um, pushing up daisies. Um, mm-hmm. in, you know, while we're here, uh, I'm convinced of it more than ever. While we're here, we have a uh, a ministry to do, whether it's full-time like I do or whether it's just being who you are in the midst of a lost, a broken world. That's what it is. So this is who I am as a pastor. This is who I am as a dad, who as a husband, uh, mm-hmm. All that I am is that story. Mm-hmm. You know, when I preach, it's the same thing. When I coach, it's the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's all the same to me. Yeah. You know, Jody, I'm not eloquent. I'm not a, a great communicator. I'm not any of that. But who God made me to be is is what I accept. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I work at things. I work hard at things. But it's not to be that guy. It's just to be who God made me and called me to do. Mm. That's it. I love it. It's beautiful. I'm thankful. I'm really thankful. Yeah. And you mentioned coaching. I mean, this is, you're entering now into this new season of, of adding to your work as a pastor through um, becoming certified as a life coach. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was laughing to myself as I was getting ready to jump on the call with you because I was thinking, well, basically you were my life coach in high school, right? So you've <laughs> kind of been doing this informally for a long time. But um, mm-hmm. but how did you get started with this? I mean, did you hire a life coach or how did you even become familiar 
with this and and kind of see it, that it was it would be a good fit for you and your ministry. You know, I, you're right. I did hire a life coach about six, seven years ago as I was in the middle of transition of moving from youth ministry. What am I going to do with my life? Uh, I think I'm done with kids. Um, <laughs> what am I going to do with my life? Well-deserved so break from that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was great. It was a great session. And um, so nobody, people don't realize that there was a two-year break between ministry. I was driving Uber. Hmm. I was uh, just trying my best to hold on. Um, Lord, where do you want me? Where do you want me? I was at a funky time age of about 55. Uh, so churches weren't going, well, there's the guy. And I wouldn't have been good for it. I had been through a r last five years of youth ministry were really hard. Um, so I drove over, I did all that stuff and I just remained faithful. I mean, you can't, I could tell you stories that would crack you up about driving Uber. I'm Holy sure. <laughs> it was nuts. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, here I am sober driving people to bars all night. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You need to write a book eventually with all of these stories, Don. You just need to to write yeah. some of these down. <laughs> it, it was crazy. Here I am driving drunk people around, and here I am in a relationship with the living Christ. And here I am saying in my own life, you know, I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. But I began more and more during that time to just love people. I just saw them as so lost. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, out of that, you know, I went to a, a, a life coach and hired him for four sessions and really came out with, Don, you're a pastor. This is who you are. And I just said, prayed for him. Well, Lord, okay, I'll just wait for you. And I began, I, I became an interim pastor for a church of 85 hmm. that had just been through a hellacious loss of a pastor. Um, and I said, look, I'll come on as your interim and after eight months, they said, we want to hire you. So that church was at 85. And after four years, we hit the 300 mark. Hmm. Not that the numbers mean anything, but that, they, that God has blessed us with finances and all sorts of stuff. And I just remained the pastor there mm -hmm. for these five years. Uh, it's, it's like I tried to shake it and I couldn't. So <laughs> what I began to do is my preaching has become more of a coaching so when I speak on Sundays, I ask questions um, more to get to, to tweak people to start to ask questions in their own life, because that's what a coach does. He asks questions just yeah. like you're doing. You're a great coach, Jody, because <laughs> well, coaches ask questions. You've always been a good question asker. I mean, that's one of the, the best qualities about you. You draw things out of people. I mean, that's what you did for me. That's what changed my life was you asking me questions and making me think about things that nobody had ever pressed me to to think about before so makes sense to me that that would be a big part of coaching would be the asking of questions well thank you that i that, that's why uh our relationship has grown uh, remained connected because the question asks or people that ask questions mean that they care yeah they want to know and mm -hmm. if they're going to ask the question of someone that means that that the questioner cares about the person that they're asking yeah yeah so that's a good coach but yeah. that's also a good pastor mm -hmm. yeah and yeah that, because they ask the questions why do you do this i have people come in my office and they'd say and the first question i always ask them is how do you think you got to this place mm -hmm. and usually the first couple of answers are well let me give you the company line 
Hmm. Uh, I'm not reading my Bible or I'm not spending time with the Lord or no, no. How did you end up in this position? Mm -hmm. Well, I followed my nose and it led me down the road. There, now you're taking ownership. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you're now we're going to get into the brass tacks of why you're losing your family, why you're losing all this stuff, why mm-hmm. your life is collapsing because it's you. Mm-hmm. You did it. Mm-hmm. So that's an that's a an example of what you do in these sessions because I'm not really that familiar with what um, it looks like when you meet with a life coach, but. Is that typically it's just asking questions, getting them from, you know, one point to the next point to the next point, helping them figure out a purpose in life or what their values are in life or how they got to where they are in life now and how to change? Is that kind of the general idea? It is. If See, my my little niche for coaching is I'm called the inministry.coach. That's my website, Mm -hmm. inministry.coach. So I'm coaching my desires, my niches, people in ministry, people in, in life uh, areas where they're helping people, uh, people in ministry. And so some mm-hmm. people are, you know, and so the questions I, I lay out an eight page kind of prerequisite kind of go through where are you in your physical, where are you spiritually, where are you in your family, what's happening. And then we start to, and, and the coachee always lays out the agenda. Hmm. So that's the fun part of coaching. Uh, why do you want to be coached today? Well, I want to get to point B. Okay, so what are we going to do? Make me aware of where you're at. Uh, let's talk about vision. How do you want to get there? What are the things you need to do? Um, and so that process is merely asking questions because the coachee really knows in their heart, what do I need to do to get there? And I coach them to get there. Mhm. Mhm. Well, how's it going? I mean, are you are you learning a lot? Are you loving it? Are you um I mean, what are your thoughts so far? How long have you been certified? I've been certified only about 2 months. Okay. Okay. So I have a I have had uh, three clients uh and three clients that it's fun to see how uh I work out with one and he, he always says, "I'm following the strategy." And I said, "Well, it's your strategy." Love you it. know. Yeah. He had a chance he had a chance to move from the strategy and he stuck with it and he's very grateful that he has stayed with it because it was his. He wrote it. Mm. He came up with the strategy uh, out of four sessions of coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have I have a client that is about to come on board and uh, she is going to uh, she's got some really good questions in her life. What's the next level? Uh, where do you want to go? Uh, and that will be uh, a, a real good aware time. People become aware of things that they've never thought through. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just beginning for me. I do it on Mondays or Fridays on my day off is Friday. Um, but I'm hoping that it does turn into a real ministry niche mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I can help and coach pastors and coach lay people and coach ministry people. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I hope so, too. Um, I was trying to throw you a softball there with your book um, and saying maybe you should write a book, Don, because didn't you write a book? I have. (laughs) So is that something you use to help encourage people as well in ministry? It's an interesting book. It's just my, it's called As I Go. Um, And I've been blogging for probably uh, 15 years. Um, It's just kind of my... um, 
like I have a blog in there, my battle with depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, 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 lots of different things on there, but it's just my my view of life as mm-hmm. I go. Love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's been a fun book. I, I have people reading it in uh, uh, England. Wow. I've had pe- people read it in Japan. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of Love fun. It. I self-published it. So yeah, it's kind of fun. That's cool. Well, as you know, kind of wrapping up here, um, the theme of this podcast is called Fighting for Joy. And, and you know, for me, when grief entered our home, like I said, after Jackson died, we started to just experience a new level of, of pain and sorrow that um, we hadn't before and had to really learn how to, to fight for the joy that I wanted, for the, for the joy that I believe we're called to experience as believers and for the joy that I wanted our kids to experience, even in the midst of brokenness. Um, and you've already shared a lot about how you lacked, you know, true peace and real joy in, in your past. Um, but because of the brokenness of life here on this earth, we will all continue to still deal with hard things. I mean, neither you nor I are done with, with struggling. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, when you are having um, a challenging day, when you are um, lacking joy, you're discouraged, um, what do you do? What are some ways that you practically fight for joy on any given week. Mm. Well, Jody, before I say that, let me just say this. Uh, when, when, when you experience, when you, you know, when we found out about Jackson mm-hmm. and we saw your posts on Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. I want you to know, I, I internally said, I can only tell her that I love her and that you matter and I'm sorry, but, but that's it. You know, I, I knew that you were going to be flooded with stuff. And 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 to this day, I, I think in, in that tragedy, um, watching you and, and how you've, you, you're dealing with it uh, has been truly uh, remarkable mm-hmm. uh, and, and a God thing, mm-hmm. if I can use it that way, and a sense of uh, the sense of purpose that you have through this is... Um, nothing short of miraculous i'll say that i agree, it's, it's I, mean, abs- I agree. it is it's yeah. absolutely miraculous how the lord has worked in your life thank you thank you i'm that, grateful that being said um i i admitted to the congregation <clears throat> my congregation yesterday when it comes to silent killers i'm not normally a happy person mm-hmm. okay which means i don't i'm not you know i find happiness to, to be very, um, oh, it goes through your fingers. It goes mm-hmm. through my fingers. Mm-hmm. It's there and gone. It's mm-hmm. there and gone. Uh, so if, if you said, Hey Don, you get, uh, we're going to go out and buy you a brand new a five Audi. I'd be like, I'm happy. <laughs> that, that's awesome. You know, mm-hmm. or, but for me, and if you're an alcoholic or you're somebody who dr- struggles with emotions like that, those are the kinds of triggers that go, okay, what makes you happy? And the dopamine hits and it's a new thing and you got mm-hmm. the dopamine flying and now you're happy. So I've learned to deal with it and go, you know, happiness isn't what I strive, but my joy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my joy is found in stuff uh, that is deep seated. Um, my joy in being loved mm-hmm. Uh, by God, my joy in being loved by my two sons, my joy in being loved by my wife for who I am. Mm-hmm. There's joy in it. I, I find joy in 
uh, in the middle of communicating to people. I find mm-hmm. joy in that. Mm-hmm. When it's mm-hmm. authentic and real, there's joy in that. When I find myself not telling people what they need to hear, but telling people what is truth, mm. uh, it's not, I'm uh, sorry, what they want to hear. I'm not there. Joy brings me in what they need to hear, which is what I meant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're able to say, you know, this, this may not feel good, but there's joy in just being connected to mm-hmm. people on a, an authentic level. That brings me joy. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I, I can see that in you. And um, I love that about you. And, you know, I think too, as I'm just listening to you, and I've, you know, thought through different people that I've come in contact with over the years as well. I mean, I'm re- I'm reminded that there are ways to persevere in life and, to, you know, without a relationship with God, right? Like, I mean, we both know people who have gotten through horrible things in life without faith in Jesus. I mean, I think that's part of God's common grace. And there are things in this world that can comfort and help and heal and many things to run to. So how do you as a pastor, how do you as a life coach, how do you as a friend, how do you help people see that life in Christ is better or that Jesus, you know, God's presence is better. The hope of the gospel and a future in heaven with Jesus is better. Um, Because there are so many things shouting out at us saying, run to me, I will numb you, I will soothe you, I will comfort you, I will help you, I will heal you. How do you help people see, I mean, I'm going to just give you a a tiny little hint. I think it's through your story and through testimony that you have seen him do this in your life. You can give personal testimony, but what are some ways that you help people see he is better? Yeah, I always ask a couple of questions uh, in my own mind, and it it does sound almost like, can that really be? Because I ask the questions of myself. Do I really hear what they're trying to say? Um, because a lot of people who are, you know, if you came out and said, well, Jesus can solve that, you haven't really heard what they're trying to say, right? Mm -hmm. Because what they may be saying is I'm really struggling with something that is not about my relationship with Christ or not. It's really just about my blueness or, or the truth that maybe I have, maybe I'm struggling with depression or maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, because, you know, there's, there's, how do you say it? There, there's just different levels of that question. Do I really hear what they're trying to say? Mm-hmm. And maybe I can then tell the story of Jesus dealing with me on that level, or maybe I just need to say, it's okay. Um, this, this will pass. But in the meantime, have you ever thought about what it means to have peace with God? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, do I really know what they're going through? That's another question that in order to talk about Christ, do I really know what they're going through? Is mm-hmm. the answer just, well, here's, here's the, you know, for all of sin and fall short of God's glory. Okay. What's the next step in Romans? I mean, mm-hmm. do, how, how do we do this in those questions? Do I really know what they're going through? Do I re- really hear what they're saying? Um, maybe just maybe hurting people. The blue kind of person is actually struggling with depression and they need a friend. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And they need someone to say, I got your back while you walk through this difficult time or season in your life. I got you. Mm -hmm. And then comes the sense of, gosh, how did that person do that? What, what forms them in order to have that kind of care for me? Well, let me tell you about my relationship with Christ. He was there Hmm. and he's there for me in the midst of my hurt and pain and sorrow. He's been there. And then they, then you've opened the door. 
mm-hmm. to somebody instead of just the ee thing you know well let me ask you a question if you were to right. die tonight and go to I mean, yeah yeah you know you got to get to the to caring about person so they see man this person's real with me mm-hmm. they they care mm-hmm. and when you go through hard things and when you are broken as a person you do care. You can't help but care. I mean, I feel like my eyes are wide open now to the hurts of other people because of what I've walked through. And so I'm sure it's similar to you that when we've gone through hard things, when we've struggled, when we've felt the comfort and presence of the Lord, and when we have understood how we can find true and real hope and joy, you know, through dependence on him and his strength and I mean, that, that is, we can't help but want to share it with other people. And I think you're right. A lot of times it's through our loving on them. It's not through pointing right. them to a verse or a plan. Um, you know, it's, it's really to just being the hands and feet and coming in and loving them. And we can't help but love them. It's very authentic as far as just, I want to be your friend. I want to get your back. I want to be here for you. And the only way I can do that is because God has done that for me. Yeah. yeah. And, and soon the question may arise. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Yeah. Who, who, who are you? And you tell them, well, I'm just like you, except I came to know Christ through the difficulties of life. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Well, Don, this has been so special. I want you to keep sharing your story and keep giving testimony of what God has done in your life because it is so encouraging for everybody that hears it. I know that my listeners are going to love getting a glimpse into what God has done um, in you and through you. And, you know, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, he has just used you to greatly impact my life and you and Marcy you know, just hold such a dear place in my heart and you, you always will. So thank you for doing this with me. Jody. thank you so much. I looked forward to this conversation more than you'll ever know and always know I love you. You are a great sister. You are a great person and God is doing great things in your life. You're awesome. Thanks, so- Don. It means a lot. I love you guys too. Tell Marcy hi and we'll be in touch. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Fighting for Joy podcast. I just want to remind you that I am sponsored by Faithful Counseling this season. Use my code at faithfulcounseling.com slash fightingforjoy to find out more about receiving quality online Christian counseling and receiving 10% off of your counseling sessions. Quality counseling is a worthy investment and such a powerful tool in the fight for joy in the midst of this broken world. It has certainly helped me, and I pray that it may provide some of the same help and hope to some of you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you were helped or encouraged by this episode, please share it with others. I would also love for you to find me on social media. You can connect with me and others who are listening on my Fighting for Joy podcast page on either Facebook or Instagram. You can also send me an email at fightingforjoypodcast at gmail.com. Podcasts have been such a lifeline for me in grief and one of the top ways that my soul is recharged and encouraged on a weekly basis. I truly hope that this podcast will do the same for you. Keep fighting for joy.